0: You can wave at me <laughs> i know it he, he just does you the way he does me he just ignores you <laughs> he looks at me like who is that man yeah my grandson i love him as well and i think he's warming up to me it's taking it's taking some time yeah he just, every time i grab him he says who is this man <laughs> see hi papa's hi little papa's such a cutie. You got to see us. Oh, never mind. I, I, I Don't get me started. <laughs> we are here to worship the Lord. Amen. <laughs> and praise his precious name, Father in heaven. Thank you once again, Lord, for the uh, ability to come together as your people. We are a covenant people. We are a people that are holding true to your word. And Lord, we know that even though that is our goal, that is our desire, we aspire to walk in the manner that uh, you have called us in. We aspire to live worthy of the gospel that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for. We we desire to please you, Lord, and yet we fall short, every one of us, we fall short. And Father, we ask for that falling of the shortness to that you forgive us, but I thank you, God, that you pick us back up so we can continue to walk and, never, and not to do that, those things which displease you. So this morning, if nothing else, we want to honor you as our Father who art in heaven, Because hallowed is your name. We pray that your kingdom will come, not my kingdom, not our kingdom. But your kingdom will come and that your will be done. And that is the prayer of this church, of this pastor. And so this morning we follow along with Paul as he's talking to the people in Philippi. And as he proclaims to them the desire that he has for them in his heart. That they themselves also will walk worthy of this gospel. So, Father in heaven, just lead us this morning. And We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. I guess I can focus on helping you to become more comfortable in the world. Um, I know that these songs that we sang, they, they weren't very comfortable. The songs are a little bit difficult sometimes when you understand the meaning behind them. Or not necessarily the meaning, but the purpose and the reason as to why Horatio Spafford had written that song, as I mentioned last week. He lost his family. He lost all his businesses in Chicago, in the Chicago fire years ago, in the 1800s. He lost, um, he, he lost everything. He sent his wife across the ocean on an ocean liner, and the tank, uh, a tanker hit that ocean liner. And uh, the whole thing just uh, collapsed, and all the people on there died, m- minus a few people. His wife was one that survived. She telegraphed Horatio and said, everything's lost. We've lost all our belongings, everything, and, and, our, and our daughters. And on his way over to London from America, once he had settled all, this, all his issues in, in uh, Chicago, he, they, the tanker, the captain stopped right over the place where that, uh, the tanker and the ship had it crashed and that's where he came up with these words and it's and it's a powerful song if you listen to the words and and you hear his heart as he's praying out to God you know though Satan may buffet though all these trials may come regardless of what might happen in my helpless state I know one thing that my sin has been nailed to the cross and like Job as we talked about last week nothing can steal our joy amen Nothing, and so because we have this joy, and Paul is proclaiming this, he's focusing and he's talking to the people of the church in the city of Philippi. Philippi was this 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 providence; it was an offshoot of Rome, and the people that lived there they they participated, and as I'm going to get into here in just a little bit, they they were trying to be as as best citizens as 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 if they were in Rome as a matter of fact Philippi and all these other little cities they called themselves little Romes and and uh, and they were Romans that lived there a lot of them had had a lot of the military had retired there and they made that their home and so everybody was to their utmost standing best citizens that they can be and because of these retired Roman citizens and Roman soldiers, they also helped keep the law and made sure that everything was in place. So it, it, was, it was this desire to walk as a Roman, to walk in this lifestyle called a Roman for the people in this little city called Philippi. In this city, there was this church. And this is the letter that is focused to the people in the, in, in Philippi. And We call this book the letter to of Paul to the Philippians. Paul is in prison. It's called a letter of joy. Uh, Paul, I don't know why we call it the letter of joy. Well, one of the things is he's always talking about joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be joyful at all times. And uh, in your heart rejoice and, and sing music. And so Paul is, is constantly rejoicing from prison. He's rejoicing from prison, in prison. And he's talking to the people in Philippi, telling them to be happy in all things. And he says, it doesn't matter where I'm at. Look at where I'm at. As a matter of fact, my condition, my situation, my place at where I'm at, it's causing me and it's helped me to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm able to share it with people that otherwise would never hear the gospel. And, uh, and it is believed that Paul shared the gospel message to hundreds, if not thousands of Roman soldiers in the two years that he was in prison in, uh, in Rome. And so, as as Paul is sending this letter out, we receive it by way of the Holy Spirit to encourage us as well. And and as we've been going through this portion of Scripture, and we've been talking about the joy, uh, we call it joy in the darkness. This letter, I've I've entitled this series "Joy in the Darkness" because we're not always going to be in joyful situations. Not always. We're not. Things are not just going to work out the way we want them to, though. You know, we believe that God promised us to be happy, and yet He really didn't. He promised us that He would be with us in spite of happiness. And one of the verses that I didn't use that I should have used this week was Jesus Christ Himself said, at the end of His life, in this world, you will experience troubles. Tribulations will come. As a matter of fact, that is a promise. He says, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. There is no student that is above his master if his master has to go the teacher has to go through these things the student will as well and so what jesus christ promised is tribulation but he says fear not for i have overcome the world and because jesus christ has overcome the world then we can stand in that same promise and that blessed assurance that jesus is mine that regardless of what happens he is going to be victorious in my life and in this world You see, when we as as men, men it starts in the home. Fathers, it starts in the home. And it's an individual letter to you right now but not only for the fathers, but it's, it bleeds it out to the rest of the church, the rest of the congregation. Each one of us are called to live worthy of the gospel. So I, I guess I can help you in being more comfortable in this world, but rather what I want to do is I want to share with you to be prepared for the world to come because this world will eventually pass and it will fade away. And nothing that you do... Nothing that you do is going to uh, get you to heaven. The only thing that's going to get you to heaven is what God has done for you in Jesus Christ through the cross uh, of his son. And so what I've been called to do, my call is to read the scriptures to you, to expound on the scriptures, to help you live out the scriptures and die for the scriptures if it becomes necessary. Thank God that we haven't gotten to that place Though many of you are probably thinking, it looks like it's coming to that place. And so this is my respect for the Word of God and my desire of the Word of God for you, as as Paul had a special love, respect, and appreciation for the church at Philippi. And it was one of the most mature churches in the area. And yet Paul, as we talked about last week, sensed and felt that he still needed to be there to encourage them and to build them up. So he starts off by saying, let me read this. In verses 27 through the end of the chapter, he says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, has always been a call to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow you daily. The call from you has always been to uh, to get away from the world, to to not love the world. The call from you has always been to be separate, different, not like the world. And Paul here is telling us that we not only have been called to believe, but to suffer for your sake. I know, Lord, this is a strange teaching for many people, yet this is what Paul has talked about this is what Peter expressed. This is what Jesus went through and every disciple every Apostle every believer from that point forward has experienced and gone through these things and so Lord help us to get a grasp on this for our own life what that means and how that applies to us to this church first and foremost what the author Paul himself is saying and how it translates to us so thank you Lord for giving us this opportunity to go through this portion of Scripture on this day that we honor you, our Father in heaven, and as we remember dads all over the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. In verses 25 and 26, though. Verses before that I didn't read it says convinced of this I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of What Paul was saying is, you know, I would rather be in the presence of the Lord than be here and absent from the body. But I know that being here, if I'm absent from the body, I can't be here. And Paul says, there's a lot more that needs to take place here. I know that I've invested a lot of time in this church. I've invested a lot of time in all the other churches. But I really believe that God still has work for me to do, even though I'm in prison. And God did. As a matter of fact, this is how Paul was able to write these letters, he wrote the book of Philippians. He wrote the book of Ephesians. He wrote the book of Colossians. And he also wrote the book of uh, 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 well, 1 Timothy and, and, uh, and a couple other books as well. But what I'm saying is that he was able to focus on his life, focus on the ministry, look back at what took place. And now he's able to present it in, in a methodical, in a philosophical, but a biblical doctrinal way of teaching the church. These are the things that you need to hold on to. So he always starts off, as we mentioned, he always starts off by naming himself Paul, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi and to the overseers. And he says, grace to you, peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The only letter that he didn't start off in such a happy manner was to the book of Galatians, the people in Galatia. The people in Galatia, he starts off, what is wrong with you guys? <laughs> he starts off by reprimanding them. And I know that letter was kind of hard for us because though Paul was talking to the people in Galatia, we knew that he was talking to us. What's wrong with you guys? Over and over and over again. I can't believe that you guys are leaving the gospel that I presented to you guys. You guys are going after all these different gospels and different messages. There is no other gospel. There's only one gospel. Anybody preaches a different gospel, they need to be cursed. Off the planet. But all these other letters. Paul has this intimate relationship with him. And Philippi was very special to him. So he starts off and he says, you know, I know that I should be here a little bit longer. There are a lot of things that are still going on. There are things in the world that are happening. The church seems to be falling into this apostasy. There's false teachers that are coming up. Ravenous wolves, as he called them in Acts chapter 20. And he says, convinced of this, I think I need to be, I'd rather be with Jesus. I really would. I'd rather be with Jesus, you know, where I don't have to suffer anymore. I don't have to be in prison anymore. I don't have to be ridiculed anymore. But I know it's best for me to be here. How many of you guys have ever prayed that prayer? Oh, to be present with the Lord is is being absent from the body. But, you know, I would rather be here in the body because I know that either my church or my family or my loved ones still need some sort of encouragement. They need to hear the gospel message. They need to get closer to the Lord. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm just worried that if I'm not here to help them, but but see, God knows best. God knows best. You know that that? That if he really believed that you were done here, guess what? You wouldn't be here. <laughs> simple as that. If God really believed, you're done. Whether you're, You're 25 or 45 or 65 or 85. You're not done yet. And God says, I still have purpose for your life, a plan for your life. And Paul said, I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain. And you as well should be convinced that you are here to build his kingdom, not your kingdom. That you are here to do his will, not your will. So Paul says, I I want you to live this life that is worthy of the gospel, number one, by living a stable life in God's word. Number one in your outlines, by living a stable life in God's word. And he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Let Let the gospel be the one thing that is being proclaimed. As we said many times before, the gospel message is not my testimony. The gospel message is not the music that we sing. The gospel message is not feeding the hungry. Those are great things. The gospel message is is not that God loves you and He has a great plan for your life. Though that is true, that is not the gospel message. The gospel message is that, first of all, gospel means good. And the good news is that you are being saved. And you saved from what? Well, first of all, you got to understand the bad news. That all humanity is under the wrath of God. And God's wrath is going to be poured out on all unbelieving people. I don't care how good you are. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday. He says, oh yeah, but I've done this and I've done that. And you know, I've, I've been here and I've been there and, I, and I've done a lot of great things. I go, but that's not good enough. Well, yeah, I know that. But you know, I, I've also you know, given here and I've built this up and I'm trying to do the best I can. And I said, but that's still not good enough. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. It's what Jesus Christ has done. And I don't care how good of a person and moral and ethical and uprighteous and law-abiding you are. It is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we receive salvation. That's the good news. The good news is that you can be saved from the wrath of God. A lot of people say, well, you know, that's, that's not God. God isn't wrathful. He's not angry. He's a God of love. And that's true. He is a God of love. But in order to be a God of love, he also has to be a God of hate. He hates sin. Well, doesn't the Bible say that God hates the sin but loves the sinner? No, the Bible doesn't say that. God loves the sinner. But he also is going to cast the sin into hell. And that sinner is attached to that sin. And some people are mentioning to me, he says, you know, I'm not a sinner. I'm not a really bad person. And you've heard my answer to that before. Have you ever lied? Well, yeah. I mean, of course I have. Okay, well, the Bible calls you a liar. Have you ever uh, thought an impure thought in your mind? Well, yeah, the Bible calls you an adulterer. Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Yeah, well, the Bible calls you a blasphemer. And if you've done that just once, you know, some, some people say, I've done that a few times. That's just today. If you've done that even once in your life, the Bible says if you failed in one, Commandment, you failed in them all. And right there in my own life, I am a lying, adulterous, blasphemer. I know that I've done those things. And therefore, I am under the wrath of God. And that's why we need the good news, the gospel message. And Paul says, only let the manner of your life be worthy of what Jesus Christ did for you. Because you were under the wrath of God. And the good news, the gospel Gospel, which means good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ paid for your sin. Somebody has to pay for it. This is called propitiation. God's anger, God's wrath has to be appeased. Believe it or not, beloved, you cannot appease God's love or God's anger on your own. Somebody has to die. And that's just the way God is from the very beginning. Somebody has to die he told adam and eve the moment you eat of that fruit you're gonna die and what god did in his grace and in his mercy he substituted an animal sacrifice well the bible doesn't talk about an animal sacrifice but you know how i know that well because god provided for adam and eve what skins of animals He gave them skins of animals. It's not like he went to the local Walmart and says, Let me have a couple of pairs, men and female, you know, large and medium. No, he he didn't go go to the store and ask somebody to give him. He had to provide the skin from an animal, and an animal had to be sacrificed. The first shedding of blood. When Cain and Abel were taking their sacrifices, Cain brought some, uh, some of his fruit, Abel brought what was choice from his flock to sacrifice to the Lord. Later on in the Ten Commandments, God had initiated the sacrificial system. And it was supposed to be a substitute, a temporary substitute. And the reason we know it's a temporary substitute, because the Lamb could not take away all your sin. But it was a precursor to what Jesus Christ was going to do. And when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist says, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, not sins, the sin of the world, the sin that is upon every individual that you have been trying to get rid of by the sacrifices of animals. God has provided the perfect sacrifice. And now those that have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior can hear this good news. You now belong to the family of God. So act like it, is what Paul is saying. Act like you belong to the family of God. Not just on Sunday morning, but throughout your life. Let your manner of life, the manner of life. This is an interesting word. Manner of life, politumeo. Politumeo is, is a word, It's a couple of words put together. "Poly" or "polis" is, you know, where we get our word "city," like "metropolis" or "metropolis." We call it, and it's the word for city. And what Paul was uh, uh, trying to express here, he says, "Be a good citizen of the kingdom." And, And it was a very good word that he used for these people that were living in Philippi, because as I mentioned earlier. Philippi was a Roman province, and they abided by the law and everybody, they prided themselves in being good citizens. Not like we live in San Bernardino, you know, I mean, can you imagine Paul would come out here and say, live like people of San Bernardino. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sin City, you're crazy. But there he can say that live as individuals of Rome. You know, he was saying as 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 the people, as you're trying to live as individuals of Rome, that's how you need to live in the kingdom of God abide by all the rules abide by everything that the god has established for you he, let this manner of life or this conduct of yours be uh be carried out in your life and so that people can say well that's a good citizen but most importantly that people can say that's a christian you know it's so unfortunate the people that call themselves christian that live in this world and work in this world and and have families in this world and have friends in this world and they live so defeated lives not only do they live defeated lives, they allow the pressures and the, and the temptations and, and all the, the tribulations of this world just affect them in such a way that, that people look at them and say, you know, you call yourself a Christian? Really? I mean, I, I can be like you without even having to go to church where we should be living victorious lives. I'm not saying that everything is going to be roses and not everything is going to pan out the way you like it. But Paul is saying, I want to live in the manner of life that is characterized by Jesus Christ. In in, uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians, we'll get to this later, he says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul says, this is a crooked and twisted generation. Can somebody say amen to that? This is what we live in. This is the, the area. This is the, the, the times, the lawlessness it's happening. And instead of following the crowds and saying, well, they're doing it. You know, I, I'm going to do this. Who cares? And, and we, we get worried and we get anxious and so many things happen. And we let the world just press us into its mold. And Paul said, do not, do not be transformed. Don't be conformed, he says. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, chapter 1 and 2. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. It is a life, is to live a life consistent with God's word and the consistency stable in God's word. And when you when you read something and you see something and it really affects you and says, that's what God is trying to show you. God is showing you not to be that way or that you should be in that manner as Jesus Christ, one of the apostles or God's commandment, whatever it is he's calling you to do. And we work at that to live a stable life, a consistent life, a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul used a different word when he talked to the people in Ephesus and Colossians and in Thessalonians. He, he talked to the people there, in, in, and this is in your outlines in Ephesians 4.1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The word to walk is uh, to your feet pet up, uh, Podiatrist, or, I guess, pedipatheo, though, means the walking of a person. He uses the same word in Colossians chapter 1, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And again, in Thessalonians, he says, We exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Walk in the manner, he says, walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. Walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner that is worthy of God. Paul is getting his point across to everyone. He says, there is a standard. Walk it. You claim to be a Christian? Then do it. That's all there is to it. And you, people say, well, how do I do that? Well, first of all, you've got to find a Bible you got to find a Bible. If you don't have a Bible in your hand at home or even here, I, I want to encourage you to bring a Bible. You've got to read this. Second of all, you've got to memorize this. Because greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. 1 John, right? Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Because I, I need to let my mind be transformed, not conformed to the world. All these verses that are in the Bible that you should be in your mind and in your heart so that when temptation comes, you can be like Jesus. The Bible says, the word of God says that man shall not live by bread alone. And he wasn't able to defeat Satan because he knew the word. He was able to defeat Satan because he did the word. Because he did what it said. See, many people know the word. Even Satan knows the word. Well, doesn't the Bible say that if you you were to fall down, that he will send 10,000 angels before your feet hits the ground? Yeah, it says that in the book of Psalms. You're right. But do not test the Lord your God. And I'm not going to test the Lord your God because I do not do that. I do not want to satisfy my flesh. Jesus Christ himself said, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily. Self-denial is right at the at the the pinnacle at the point at the center of walking this worthy walk denying what i want and putting in there what jesus christ wants in titus chapter two more verses there's there's other verses that i can go across in, in sharing with you on that but bottom line is this gospel message that jesus christ has given us the good news he says jesus died for you he gave a very costly price his blood You can't buy this, not with with gold or with silver or any precious jewels, but it was bought for us. And and we were, he is our substitute. This is what we call the substitutional atonement. The substitutional atonement is, is an important doctrine for you to know that you were supposed to die. That you were supposed to receive God's wrath. And instead of you receiving what Jesus Christ received when he was hanging on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he experienced the full wrath of this whole world, you were supposed to receive that. But Jesus Christ substituted himself just like the sacrificial lamb. He became our sacrificial lamb. And he substituted himself and the atonement that he paid for it to atone means to buy or to pay or to settle accounts. He settled accounts. And when he was settling the accounts, he said, "Okay, Father, it is finished. I've done what you've called me to do so that Sal would not have to endure this wrath that you are going to unleash upon him at the time of his departure from this world. So that Ken, so that, you know, put your name in there. So, James, I mean, I'm not saying it's only Ken James and I that are going. Okay, I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is that that's the substitutional atonement. And that, my beloved, is is a doctrine that needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be taught. That the wrath that Jesus Christ endured for you is the wrath that you were supposed to receive. But praise God for that. Number two, you you know, I, I can live worthy of the gospel message by standing firm for the kingdom of God I need to stand firm for the kingdom of God he says you know not only do I want you to stand firm not only do I he says here only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to you and see you or am absent I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit Standing firm again this is an interesting word steko steko is the is the Greek word that means to stand not only your ground but to advance even further it's the word that was used for Roman soldiers steko that would yell out that they would plant their feet. You know, I've taught my grandson on how to, you know, stand in, in the event of any kind of attack. You know, because we all stand like this, and if you stand like this, you can just push a person right over, like this. But when you Stecco, you, you just you stand like this, and this is with your shield up, and and, and your 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 sword right here, or your spear, and if you were left-handed, I don't know what they would do with you. I think they would push at the end or something. I don't know. But left hand lefties would be on the on the ends, on the backside or whatever can, can be, but you would. St- stabilize yourself you would hold your ground and paul is saying hold your ground and and defend not only defend but be ready in the event that you have to go forward but you defend your ground and your position at all costs at all costs as a believer as a christian you defend the gospel message you defend that is by grace alone by faith alone in christ alone not by works You cannot do anything for your salvation. You defend the substitutional atonement. Jesus Christ died in my place. You defend the gospel of God. You defend the gospel of his word. There are no errors in that word. Right now, everything about God is under attack. Beloved, if there is a more important message for you here today, it's this one. You need to stand firm, stecho in the word of God. The problem is most people don't know what the word of God says. You know, I think that we've done a, a disservice um, to the church by using this. I remember here a few years ago, somebody asked the question, what is one thing that we no longer need? And I raised my hand. And I said, we don't need Bibles anymore. What? Well, I can go to church and I don't even need a Bible. I mean, I get an outline. I get it posted on the, on the, on, up there on the top. I mean, why do I need a Bible? They, they just give me the verses that I need and I just believe what they tell me. See, having a Bible in your possession and in your hands, it doesn't make you a Christian or better Christian than anybody else. All that does is it feeds you. It helps you to stand firm. Stand firm for what? Well, you got to know what it is that you're standing for because you don't, you don't know what you're standing for. You're going to fall for anything. Right? And, and we have to have a word, and I, and I appreciate, you know, there's been a an increase of uh, desire. And people have come to me, a few people already have come to me and says, what Bible translation do you use? And and I've shared with you, you know, there's various translations, and they're all very good. It all depends on what it is that you want to do. And, and one, one of the uh, responses is, well, I want to be able to follow along with what you're reading, first of all. You know, that's the first thing, but also I want to be able to understand it. Well, if you you don't know this yet, I use what's called the English Standard Version. English, English Standard Version is somewhat closer to the King James Version than others. I think that the New American Standard Version, Bible, NASB, is a very good translation as well. Now those are what they call, and the King James Version, those are what they call word for word. They take the Greek word and they translate it word for word, transliterate it. And so you get a word-for-word word meaning, and they brush it up, they clean it up, because a lot of times, you know, there's some things in there that just you just read it word-for-word. Word. Like, for instance, for to me to die is Christ, but to live is gain. That's They had to add, in the Greek, it's to live Christ, die, gain. That's how it's written. And so we had to add the vowels and, and certain words in there to make it sound right, because that was the meaning of the passage as they studied it, and they looked back, and they looked forward. Okay, here's what Paul's trying to get across. But it's, sometimes it's a little choppy, word for word. And then there's those Bibles that are the New International Version, which is a good translation. The New Living Translation and a few others, which are thought for thought. Now, what the translators have to do is try to decide, okay, what was it that they were trying to get across? And they get across, they use words sometimes that are not in the old uh, King James. And they'll use phrases that are thought for thought and get the thought across. And if you ask me, what is the authorized translation? Which one is God authorizing? Because you have a people out there that say, this is the authorized translation. Only God said that everybody is supposed to speak in King James English. That's it. So too bad if you're Swahili, you know, if you're Spanish, I don't know what you're going to do because it's got to be in this language. It's got to be this Bible. But the actual authorized translation is the Hebrew translation. That's the authorized word of God. God spoke Hebrew to the Jewish people. That's the language that God speaks. When Jesus Christ came on the scene, God didn't tell Jesus, okay, I want you to teach everyone to have Hebrew schools because everybody has to learn how to read Hebrew and how to speak Hebrew because that's the only language I speak. As a matter of fact, Jesus came onto the scene. He did speak Hebrew, Aramaic, and he also spoke Greek. But he didn't speak the regular Greek, uh, excuse me, he spoke the regular Greek, not the intellectual or the academic Greek. See, there were philosophers in the, those days that used this high language of, of Greek. And there were all these lofty words that some of you probably heard in, in academic circles. And, and, and b- by the way, the academic circle just basically means school. okay? So, or higher education, which means college. And so you'll have these people that would use these fancy words like... I throw them around every once in a while, but they don't mean anything. All I'm trying to get to you is the real word of what what we're talking about. That's what Jesus did. He used what was called Koine Greek. Koine Greek is the everyday language. Hey, what's up? Okay, maybe not that casual, but that's how how he talked, and that's the language he talked in. He didn't talk in this philosophical Greek, but he talked in the language, and the Bible was translated in this Koine Greek. Now, if God wanted an authorized translation, he would have said, Hebrew. Jesus, you know, Hebrew, teach the people Jesus, Hebrew, have them all be Jews. I want everybody learning this language. But seeing God's infinite wisdom, he knew and he's already established at the Tower of Babel. He confounded the languages. He did. And he says, you know what? Everybody's got to hear the gospel message. Give it to them in Greek. Let them translate it into Latin and in the English and, and therefore and so on. And you want the authorized translation Hebrew? and Greek. That's the language Jesus spoke. Now, when we come to translations, what's comfortable for you? What, do you? what do you feel comfortable with? And and you read it, and you understand it. We need more. We have Bible studies to help you do that. We, we focus on God's Word. You got to get discipled. You have to get discipled. Once a Sunday, it's good some of you go back and you read the messages. I give you outlines so that you can see the verses that we talk about so you can go back home and look them up and read them over to see how it fits in what we're talking about. But coming to church once a week is like having a big feast once a, once a week. You know, today's Sunday, I'm going to have a big feast. I'm going to eat and I'm going to have, have my feel, and I'll come back next week and I'll eat again. You know, that's not possible, right? Most of us are hungry by the end of the afternoon. <laughs> I'm hungry. No, you're not. Thank, thank my wife for that one. Well, no, you're not. No, she didn't say that. Standing firm so, whether, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I, I can see you standing firm. Stand firm in God's word. No, you got to know what God's word is. You got to know what it is. Paul uses this word in, in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Thank you, Papas. Yeah. What well, What do we see nowadays, huh? Tell us. Act like men, not like anything else. You know, there's this push against manhood. There's this push against toxic, uh, what is that called? Toxic maleness. You know, you know, the, 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 there's this toxic humanness of males and men, and and it's toxic. All you know, I never heard anybody say a toxic femininity. You know, why don't they talk about that? Or toxic children. <laughs> you know, why don't we talk about that? But there is a push, beloved, and it's all centered and pointed toward God. They want to get God out of everything. They've already gotten God out of the schools. You see, back in the 60s, they started going deep and taking God out of the schools, God out of the laws, God out of everything that we that is that we know of, and they went deep. And in the 80s and 90s, they started to go wide. And now and now they're so wide and it's far spread that people that were taught in these colleges and these schools and universities that it's difficult to get the word of God in there. A lot of our children that went to college, they came, they went in there with with God-fearing parents and expectations, knowing that God had a purpose for them in their life. They were going to get their degrees and change the world. But what ended up happening is a lot of these colleges changed our Christian children into atheists. And they come back out doubting God, doubting their parents, doubting the word. And so we have now almost flip-flopped in a generation. And, and it's all by design. Do you know that there's this world order, this world fe- uh, federation that's going to take place? They call it the Great Reset. The Great Reset is going to be taking place somewhere in A.D. 2036 or 35. So, so if, you, if you look at that, in A.D. 35 or A.D. 36, if you look at that, our calendar is off by two or three years. Let's say it's three years. And, and, and so in 2036, this Great Reset, they're going to change everything. Everything's going to just be clicked over, and it's going to be one world power, one world order, and it's all going to be taken care of. Now, you know, Jesus Christ was born. The reason we say 2022 or 2025 or whatever the case is is because it's 2,022 years from the birth of Christ. And 2,020 years from the birth of Christ, that's when he was typically born. We didn't have a lot of good methods of keeping track. That's why they say it's a little bit off, maybe two or three years. If Jesus, Christ, if Jesus Christ was born 2,022 years ago, and he died in 30 A.D., okay? I'm sorry, he started his ministry, thank you. He started his ministry in 30 A.D. And in 30 A.D., the Bible says, that's John says that's when he started his ministry. He died three and a half years later. He died in 33 and a half A.D. And in 33 and a half A.D., he resurrected In 33 and a half A.D., he gave the Great Commission to go into all the world, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. So almost 2,000 years ago in 2033 or 36, it'll be exactly 2,000 years that Jesus Christ gave the Great Commission of sharing the good news. To go into all the world. In essence, we have 10, 12 years to finish that task. In our church, as small as it is, I believe we can at least accomplish that in our life. Maybe not in the world, but in my world, in your world. We can accomplish that task, but we won't be able to unless we know the Word of God. And Paul tells the people in Corinth, I said, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Act like men because you're taking your manhood away. Be strong in the Lord, not just as a guy, but a- as, a, as a man of character, of ethic, of, of willing to stand for whatever, whatever comes your way. Look at the next verse, Ephesians six eleven. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil we don't know what the schemes of the devil are because it's 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 almost you can't even see it good example my brother called me and says you know I'm trying to talk to my kids about this whole pride month what's going on with that well first of all God opposes the proud so you know I don't even want to talk about that you know it's just and I haven't But he says, what do I tell them? Well, I'll tell them that, you know, the Bible says, well, I did tell them that, but they want to know where. So I sent them some verses. And the first thing they says, well, I didn't know it was in the Bible. Really? That's in the Bible? Yeah. And the second of all says, but that thing is old. How can that be true? And so he's fighting an uphill battle. Number one, he doesn't know the scriptures. Number two, he doesn't know where to find them. Number three, the kids don't believe him already anyways. It's a, fi- it's a fight. It's a, it's a lost cause, in a sense, for some families because they do not know the word. And we don't understand what the devil's schemes are. You know, Satan is not going to come against you with fangs. He's not going to come against you with a pitchfork. He's not going to have horns. He's not going to be dressed in red. And this ghoulish looking Hollywood creature is not going to approach you in a such way. He's an angel of light. And, and he transforms himself. Into an angel of light. He doesn't want to scare you away. He wants to entice you. Look how good it looks. Look how pleasing it is. Look how look how it is. It looks so great and good. You know, just take one bite. It's not. You're not gonna die. Come on, look at me. What? Are you, am I really that bad? No, not really. You're not. As a matter of fact, I can have more fun on both sides of the fence. I can have more fun with the opposite sex or the same sex. I can have more fun with, I can have more fun. Yeah, he says, let's do it. Come on, I'll even talk to you and show you where all the others like you are. I want to let me just, just walk with me. Satan is not going to come up to you and says, you know, I, I want, I want your life. I want to destroy your life. Not only do I want to destroy your life, I want to rip out your heart. Not only do I want to rip out your heart, I want to chew it up, stomp it on the ground until there's nothing left of you. And then I'm coming for your kids. He will never, ever talk to you like that. That's not his scheme. We need to know what God's word says. Otherwise, yeah, it's easy to fall into that kind of scheme. Not the way I just last described, but the... The former, he's a deceiver. He's a liar. When he speaks, he speaks his natural language. Like a a French person would speak French. A Spanish person would speak Spanish. The devil speaks lies. That's all he speaks. That's all he speaks. Paul says in 6.13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Beloved, we're in that evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Paul is talking to the people in Ephesus, stand firm, stand firm. And then he says, in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Number three, Paul says, you can live this worthy life by striving for the faith of the gospel. Striving for the faith of the gospel. Another good word, another interesting word to strive. Strive is um, soon athleo. Soon means with. Athleo is where we get our word athlete. And athleo or an athlete. And Paul is saying you need to strive as an athlete with each other. You know, in, in any game, any football game, any basketball game, any baseball game, you'll always have the superstars that kind of hog up the limelight. And, and, you know, those guys, you know, they just take all the credit, they take all the glory and glamour, and everybody else just kind of sits on the bench. But Paul is not talking about that kind of athleticism. He's talking about that athleticism where everyone in the team works together. This athleo word that he's talking about, with each other you strive you move forward and you use the strengths and the weaknesses of every individual. Some are calculating, some are, you know, just workhorses and others are able to just do whatever it takes. And Paul says we need to strive in one mind and in one spirit and not be frightened in anything by your opponent's. Because there are opponents out there. We need to learn how to put up the defenses. We need to learn how to be ready and stand firm and, and be ready to just take on whatever the world gives us. Not being pushed back, but just standing firm. and Not necessarily fighting, but standing firm. By standing firm in one spirit, one mind, and striving together to accomplish what it is that God's called us to do. And this is interesting because he says, and and again, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened at anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. What does he mean by that? Well, when people see you standing firm, when people see us working side by side, when they see us as a team, and they see us strong and side by side working together together, People are going to attack and they're going to attack from within, without and around. And because they are attacking from within, without and around, the Bible says, Paul says, this shows that they're going to be destroyed. Anybody that comes into the church and starts to destroy from within and starts to talk about the leadership, about you, about anybody else, they are working against what the gospel message has called us to do. Anybody that comes in and starts to gossip, slander, anybody that comes in and starts to uh, agitate or talk about or de- de- demoralize, demoralize, or whatever the case may be, is working against. And the Bible says it's to their destruction because that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be the a team. Yes, we're not perfect. We have faults. We put those faults aside. You know, if, if there's something that I've said or you've said or somebody said, you approach them, you talk to them, boom, let's settle it, let's move on. That's the way it works within a team. You know, sometimes there's a penalty. Sometimes there's something that has to be paid or whatever the case may be. But we are a team. You know that the Christian army is the only army that kicks its wounded while it's down? Look at that guy. He thought he was a Christian. You know, instead of picking him up, the Christian army is the only one that talks bad about its its general and its captains and its lieutenants. The Christian army, you supposedly Christian. That's not the Christian army that God has set up for us. We are to strive together. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt with just a handful of people, Jesus did it, not that I'm calling myself Jesus, but I know that with a handful of people, we can change our world. Whether it's here just locally in San Bernardino or California, whatever the case may be, when we strive together, single-mindedly working as one. Paul says to the people in Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians 1.4. He says, therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. That leads me to the point number four. I can live a worthy life and living worthy of the gospel by number four for suffering for the cause of Christ. This is, again, one of the areas that many people don't talk about. Most of us don't even want to hear it. What do you mean suffer for the cause of Christ? They told me that when I became a Christian, everything was going to be fine. All my problems are going to fade away. All I have to do is ask God, and He will give me whatever I want. That's all you have to do. You just have to pray. Uh, you have to name it, and you claim it, and it's yours. And if you're sick, He'll heal you. You know, because by his wounds, you have been healed. If you are, uh, you, know, you know, just God's, Jesus said, whatever you want, just ask in my name and he'll give it to you. Come on, you can be a Christian. You want that? Who doesn't want that? Yeah, I'll take, <laughs> can I get two of those? <laughs> you know, I, I'd like to have at least two. Yeah, yeah, just where, where do I sign? Over and over again, the Bible teaches us. As Paul said, for it has been granted to you For the sake of Christ, that you should believe in him, but also suffer. You know the word granted to you or given to you? That's the word caris. That's where we get our name charisma or grace. It is a grace that God has given you. The grace, first and foremost, is to believe in Jesus Christ. You receive that from him. It has been granted to you. It's been grace to you. For it is by grace that you're saved through faith. And not by works. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that you're saved. And it is by that one instance that the Bible says that you're saved. But, you know, that you should believe in him. But, he says also, for his sake, to suffer for him. To suffer for him. And this is, this is very key. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's not in your outlines, but 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Indeed... All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what? Will be persecuted. What? (laughs) Let me read that again. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, I started off this message by telling you, you know, I guess I can preach to you on how to be successful in this life, how to be comfortable in this life, how to deal with this life, how to, you know, make a lot of money in this life. I guess I can, you know, share with you all kinds of verses that'll tell you that. But you see, Paul is telling Timothy this You know, anybody who wants to be a godly person, anybody who wants to follow Jesus Christ, guess what? You're going to suffer for this. I would rather share with you what the word says and prepare you for the next life. Because it's coming. It's coming. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 10, 22, he says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 24, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub, in other words, the devil, how much more will they malign those of the household? If they call the household master the devil, how much more are they going to do to you? In John chapter 16, he says, They will put you out of the synagogues, in other words, the churches. Instead, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. There is this movement within the churches right now, and it is moving in such a rapid pace. And, and this is something that I've got to really just sit down and pray about this with the leaders, with the directors of this church as to where it is that we're going to go. I know where we're, we're going to go. We're going to stand firm in what we believe. Number one, you know, there's there's this idea that that there's reparations that have to be paid for those that had been wronged in the past. And it's working within the churches. And the church says, well, yes, we need, a, we need to be good stewards, good servants, good. And, and it's called the critical race theory. And, and we have to take care of them and we have to do all these things. Well, the Bible is clear. Ezekiel says that the children should not pay for the sins of the fathers. Every person has to pay their own debt. And there's also this push and this, this you know again, of, of women pastors within the church. Now, I mean, I, I don't have anything against the women leaders of our church, of any church, to be honest with you. Uh, but the Bible is clear. I, I will not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over men, is what Paul said to Timothy. I remember one time I started that sentence when they asked me that. I said, I, I will not, you know, I will not permit a woman to teach. Well, who are you to say who can teach and who can preach? I said, I'm a nobody. But that's what the word of God says. You know, I, I can't make that. Dis- I just can't arbitrarily change that just because it offends you. And there are a lot of other things that the church in itself is starting to, and those that are going to hold on to with the biblical standard, we are going to get maligned. And it's causing a rift within the church. And being, some of them are being taken out of their conventions or their groups that they belong to and, and, and losing membership because of it. I know we've lost a few people because of that stance that we took several years ago. We said, no, we're going to reform theology. And reform Theology is going straight out of Scripture. We're not going with this purpose-driven thing anymore like we started with. You know, it's been 10 years now in the making that we've been working with this. And Reformed Theology is what we're going to stand on. And because reform Theology is biblical theology. It's, you need to have doctrine. No, you don't need to have doctrine. Those are secondary issues. I, I, I don't think so. All you have to do is preach Jesus. Just preach Jesus, 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 and that's it. Well, tell me. Which Jesus? Well, well, the Jesus of the Bible, of course. Well, that makes sense. Which Bible? What do you mean, which Bible? Well, I mean, you know, if you want to preach out of the Jehovah's Witness Bibles, where it says that Jesus is just a teacher, that's all he is. Or you want to preach out of the Muslim Bible. The The Muslim Bible says that he was a prophet. You know, and that's all he was, not God. As a matter of fact, you want to preach out of the Mormon Bible? The Mormon Bible says that Jesus and the devil are brothers. And they have this tag team going on. Which Bible do you want to teach out of? Well, of course, the authorized scripture. Yes, exactly. That's why you need doctrine. That's why you need the sound teaching of God's word. Because there are so many people out there that are convoluting and confusing everything that the Bible has to say. And when you stand on the truth, when you stand on the truth, you will be maligned. You know that fact checkers didn't come in until the truth started to come out? Ah, we got to check that fact. Oh, we got to check that out. No, that's not true. And they make it all up. In Mark chapter 8, 34, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, this is the call of the worthy calling. Living worthy of the gospel. But you cannot know what that worthy call is if you don't know what the gospel is. And we have many variations of the gospel. Well, you know, as long as I pray in public, you know, over my food, I'm sharing the gospel. You know, as long as I, you know, tell somebody how much Jesus loves them, I'm sharing the gospel. The gospel message, beloved, is that we're all sinners and doomed to die. Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid my penalty so that I wouldn't have to. Now, I can use theological terms like substitution atonement. I can, you know, all those others, that propitiation, how you appease God. I can use all those terms. But bottom line, I'm a sinner. And I know I'm a sinner. Uh, and 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 when people are confronted with this, I, I spoke with one of the most probably sinful people that you can ever think of. And as I told him these words, yeah, I, I mean, I was just wretched. I just, I'm just, and he was just, yeah, you know. No, But I do a lot of good things. Yeah, it's still not good. Yeah. I mean, every time, you know, but, but yeah, you're right. So, what's, what do I have to do? What, 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 what can I do? Repent. Oh, I'm not ready for that. And your heart will continue to get harder. And that leather will just be wrapped around your heart, and wrapped around your heart, and wrapped around your heart. Not saying that God cannot unpeel those, but when you harden your heart, so the gospel message, God gives you what you desire. You want to harden your heart? I'll harden it for you. You want to continue to harden your heart? I'll harden it for you. Genuine repentance comes to those that are living worthy of the gospel. Or I should say, genuine repentance breeds and. Living out the gospel is what comes out of it. Because I don't want to do my thing anymore. I want to do God's. Let me ask you to stand. I've had a lot of people tell me about their experiences with the devil. Oh, he came to me last night. Oh, I know he was just tempting me. And oh, I that's not how he does it. He's got schemes. And he knows what affects you and what doesn't. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he wants to, more than anything else, not only destroy your life, dad's, he wants to destroy your family's life, your kid's life, your grandkid's life. By offering and scheming his way through it all. you got to know the word of God. And it's only your word, Lord, that we adhere to. No other word, no other revelation. There is no new revelation. Many people come with new revelation, something different or something new that apparently a God or somebody gave them. But, Father, we have so much revelation right here in our hands. There are 66 books in the Old and the New Testament with your, how you have revealed yourself to us, and we have not even begun to scratch the surface of that revelation. And yet there are people out there looking for something new. Lord, help us to be diligent in looking at your word and checking and looking what it is that you have for us. Thank you, Father, for this time that you give us to celebrate and honor first and foremost you, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, by the power and the intervention of the Holy Spirit within our life. Thank you for this day that we're able to honor our fathers. And for those that have lost their dads in the past and and still remember them, I pray that they can remember all the good things that uh, they were able to do and show and share and to be able to celebrate now with their families. Thank you, Father, for the food that you provided by the ladies and those that have participated. For the fellowship that is to take place, I pray you bless it both. Nourish us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says? Amen. I'm a little bit louder. Everyone says? Amen. All right, so they can hear you on Facebook. All right. (laughs) Very good.